Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us for another edition of Hold My Dream, where we navigate the news and politics with a chaser of civility. I'm your host, Jen, inviting you to grab your favorite beverage, sit back, and imagine with us how to create a new American identity together. Welcome to this week's Hold My Drink in Counterweight podcast. Today, I have Steve Welliver with us. Steve is a former STEM teacher, now construction worker, and he's got a story. He's got his own story to tell about what's happening in schools. He's in the Seattle district. So before we get into his story, uh, Steve, it is, I know it's later for me, but it's brunch on Saturday. And so I've got, I brought a drink to the table. Did you bring anything for this conversation? I, (laughs) I, I have a ginger beer here that I brewed up about a week ago. It's got a little bit of a purple haze to it because I am in the Seattle area. So there's some conceptual Jimmy uh, floating around in here. Oh, my gosh. That is so cool. You make that yourself? Yeah, yeah. So there's a little bit of lavender and blackberry in there from the end of the the growing season here. Okay. So if I ever make it to your area, I'm going to have to, like, have a drink with you because that sounds Uh much cooler than what I have. (laughs) I've got, like, I've got, I love Bloody Marys and I'm trying something new. Like, now they're packaging Bloody Marys with the, the alcohol, not just the mix already in it. So this is what I'm trying today, but I, I think you have the better option for this morning. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> um, okay. So I was, uh, you know, John O'Brien, who did the first CRT case with Gabs Clark. She, he, you know, we had a great conversation with him a couple of weeks back and he said, you know, it's lovely that we're having these conversations with John McWhorter and 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 uh, Wilford Riley and all these amazing thinkers who are doing a lot to progress the idea of what's happening in our schools, but that we weren't really having the conversations with people who were actually there on the ground outside of gaps. And so I said, okay, well, who should we speak to? And your name, Steve, was the one that that came up first. And clearly, you know, as a former STEM teacher, now construction worker, something went sideways for you. So I'm just going to shut up now. And you tell your story, and I know you're in Seattle, which is kind of the epicenter of a lot of the CRT and school movement. And I'll just ask you questions as you go along. So, just, yeah, what? Tell us what's your life. Okay, so, uh, so yeah, uh, I've actually, actually, uh, most uh, I've lived for a long time down, not in Seattle. I, I'm a construction worker in Seattle now, but uh, was down in the state capital of Olympia, which is about an hour south of Seattle which is also home to the Evergreen State College right. where there was a big controversy a few years back. But just a few years before that, um, I, I had been a public school teacher for a while and I had also been uh, uh, in independent private schools and was the administrator of an independent private school in the state capitol when there was this kind of this it's weird... <laughs> intolerant mob of teachers who were kind of trying to drive others out. And it didn't make a lot of sense to me at the time. Uh, But being a small town, when the incident at the Evergreen State College took place with Brett Weinstein and the call, you know, all, all that drama, I started, I was like, hold on. I know all these people on a first name basis. These, these college administrators and faculty and whatever that are, they're causing this problem here. I knew them as students' parents mm-hmm. who, who had attended the school I was the administrator of just a few years 
prior to that. And so, so once I started connecting the dots, it's like, oh, this is coming from the university. There's, there's whatever this intolerance, this weirdness is, it's, it's coming from the college. And, um, and then there wasn't really a door open for me in to, to, to be an educator anymore. As I, as I applied to jobs, even, even, uh, administrators, school administrators in the local district who had sent their children to the school, I was the administrator of would hire me in their, in their own districts. Okay, go go back for a minute. Yeah. Was it because you were speaking out on these things? Like what what was it about you that they that made you quote toxic? You know, why why I'm I'm I I couldn't quite put it all together. This this was just before this whole CRT thing kind of exploded. Mm-hmm. Um so um I I wasn't willing to let one of my good teachers get ran out of a building because he he had done nothing wrong. And even my board had said, there's absolutely no policy, nothing that this guy violated. So, um, but I wasn't, I wasn't, I was taking a stand. I was, <laughs> if, if this guy was going to go, I was going to go. And um, I ended up resigning from that position. But I don't know what it was about. I don't know. I come across as, as sometimes a little intellectual, sometimes maybe to public school people who are interviewing me um and i i don't think they want it they want that i don't think they want somebody they don't want an really intellectual put, they, they did one of the one of the last uh jobs i interviewed they said that, uh the well the hired hiring committee thought you were very cerebral i'm like well this is an ap chemistry teacher position <laughs> i'm applying for is that kind of the thing but uh and anyhow, it was it was difficult to get back in, and then my cert expired, and then you know you got to make a living. So right, well, okay, so let me go back a little bit. So yeah. you, when you were in charge of this school, and you had a yeah. teacher that they were kind of pushing out the door, and you said, "I'm going with him." If, if t- what what did the teacher do? Do you can you recall like what was the it was just a, it was a, it was just kind of a thing in his personal life. He was going through a divorce, and uh, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, there's some, I think, gender thing that made it taboo, whatever was going on, and he needed to be expelled um, from his job. And there the was no questions it. around it. It was just like he's he's gone because he didn't fit the narrative that. Right. And so and so, um, yeah, and it just consumed every ounce of energy of the school environment. There was there was no room for anything else. Um, late nights of board meetings and uh grievances being filed against me for just frivolous things like um i I didn't say good morning to somebody in the afternoon so so you know when you say good morning to me and it's almost it's noon i'm about you know i'm like i've been here since 5 a.m i don't know what you're talking about but so i'm just one of those people that's just like gives you a weird look not good morning you know Mm-hmm. So, but those are the type of grievances that were being filed against me as an administrator. Um, many of them. And then, and so, okay. And a lot of these parents who had their kids in the school were also a part of the evergreen college <laughs> the same, situation. Some same of the situation. same parents and same administrators. Yeah. I, I was on a first name basis with them. Their kids had, had attended the school. I was, yeah, it, it was very interesting. 
So I know that a lot of people who, who listen to this podcast know about the Evergreen because it's, it's quite an explosive story, but right. give a little bit of feedback because th- this is happening in, this, in the town and in the area that you're in. So you're an educator, although not at Evergreen, but in a you know elementary school or uh, K-12 uh, middle school, school. Middle middle school. school. Uh, in the same area as the Evergreen. So give some background on like kind of what the, what the, what, what Evergreen happened, what you saw from the people who were part of your school and also part of Evergreen and where things kind of went sideways. I mean, this was about what this was, when was Evergreen? This were, were 2021. This was 2016. This is about four, yeah, about yeah. four years ago. Somewhere okay. There. Yeah, somewhere around okay. there. Um, so yeah, just being in that that same town, uh, uh, I think what happened with uh, Brett Weinstein was there, there was a uh, he had been complaining about some of these, these policies and issues, but I think it was the, the, the white students had to leave campus for the day mm-hmm. kind of issue that um, kind of brought, brought this to a head. And um, yeah, I mean, the campus was the national, the, the state police were there. It was, it was shut down. There was, um, it was, it was chaotic, but um but what, what I remember seeing was that those parents who I had known who were administrators or faculty members who were who were uh, trying to drive this guy out and, and create all this racial conflict, I had never seen that side of them. I mean, they were always kind of progressive lefty kind of parents, but mm-hmm. I had never seen that that mob-like intolerance from them in interacting with them as, as just, you know, school parent family relationships go right. and so it was just uh, yeah okay and we, we, I mean let me ask you this though so you're in you're are you from Washington are you from that area yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. okay would you consider yourself a like, kind of a progressive lefty who was shocked by this or like because Brett Weinstein would consider himself that he was you know he considers right. himself very much a progressive that was caught in the the middle of this what how do you how would you align yourself i i've always been a really independent person i've never yeah. been one to, to to take labels of conservative or whatever nice. i don't even carry a grocery store loyalty card of any kind like that's that's how <laughs> much i value my independence you know so i've, I've always been a real independent mind but i'd, I'd say kind of very centristy you know kind yeah. of, or, and or really not really interested in politics at all i okay. i'm really quite apolitical um so how did you get into to education in the first place i mean was that just something that you felt that this draw to uh, work with our kids to 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 make leaders and then all of a sudden you were like <laughs> what are we doing here yeah i i was i've it's just sent, seemed like an interest when, when i was uh in school i always thought like i think i could do that job better or I want to, I want to try to do that job better than how it's being done. And, and, you know, I had some good inspirational teachers, but also a lot of, you know, (laughs) it was, it was really a a letdown uh, going through the schools. So. And then you, so you couldn't, you, after all this, after you were pushed out of the administration role, you were then couldn't get a job teaching that's what I heard you say. Correct me if I'm right. wrong. And then from there, right. it was like, then your certificate lapsed and, and now, now you're doing construction. But I mean, you wouldn't have let it lapse. You just could not find 
a position after you were pushed out of the administration. Right. Role. Yeah. I, could, I couldn't find anyone who would hire me. And um, you needed to be in a classroom at the time to get your, to maintain your certificate. You had to, they, they, they changed the, that, that rule uh, recently where you can just take some, some coursework and, and get your certificate reestablished. But now you can't, you can't go back in without doing all this critical race theory training as part of this certificate renewal, uh, as well as <laughs> what goes on in just professional development on an annual basis in the schools. The, the laws have made it so you have to take these critical race theory trainings. And I, I can't, no way. I can't, I have to draw a line. When, when you were teaching, what had that started to seep in or is it like since you've been in the classroom? No, it's been, it's been really the, the, the just tidal wave of laws has taken place in the last two to five years. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. even in this last legislative session. So let me, I know you, if I heard you correctly, these, this training is mandatory. You know, I've been talking to friends lately who are in California and I know Seattle kind of is almost like Seattle and California are going in the same direction in a lot of these classroom discussions or, or, or uh, training, if you will, but they have made an ethnic studies that is based a lot on, you know, call it what you will, racial essentialism, CRT. I mean, there's a fight about the language, but but we all know what, you know, it, it's it's this, this kind of racial essentialism uh, that is making it mandatory. It's not just an elective. Is that the case now in Seattle and or Washington state schools where that kind of ethnic studies you had in order to graduate, you have to have some sort of class around ethnic studies, DEI, anti-racism, okay. whatever it is. So uh, a couple of years ago, they passed a ethnic studies law that simply just said, you have to make ethnic studies materials available for grades seven through 12. And it should be encouraged that people take this class. And uh, the law said nothing about race or, or anything like that, any of these Marxist ideologies. It was simply a, a, an appreciation for diverse cultures mm -hmm, mm -hmm. should be taught. It was, that, it was that language that was used in the bill. And it had bipartisan support. It wasn't just Democrats that voted for it in droves. A sizable chunk of Republicans in the state legislature also jumped on board. I, I think it was somewhere 30-some percent of Republicans in the red legislature voted for this bill. And that's when, that's when the math is racist curriculum controversy that came out of Washington started making national headlines. And that curriculum, that made, started making national headlines because the, the Washington State K-12 agency had posted that curriculum as the model on their website. After that controversy took place, they deleted the links to it to hide it and continued to push for because it was so successful. Now we need to expand it, not just for secondary, but for K through 12. Mm -hmm. The ethnic studies was so successful. We need that. And it's so important. Now kindergartners should be forced to do it. So the legislature then. After delete, you know, after the state K twelve agency deleted all the links to math is racist, literacy is white supremacy, um, and they they passed 
it for K through 12. Now, once this bill was passed, K through 12, and that resources should be made available for, for kindergartners, um, the State Board of Education, which has the authority to establish graduation requirements and course content requirements, has now passed a resolution saying, this isn't just an option that the teachers should be encouraged to do, this is now going to be a requirement. Okay. And not just a requirement like, oh, you have to take one class. Their intent is to make this race, critical race theory, the core focus of every class K through 12. And uh, the law established uh, an ethnic studies advisory committee at the state K-12 agency whose job was to come up with a framework for this ethnic studies curriculum uh, and, and all the resources that went along with it. And they were supposed to have this published on the state website by September 1st. Mm -hmm. Nowhere to be found. They're hiding it. Um, I've been attending all of these ethnic studies advisory committee meetings, and I've even had to fight to be in them. Um, they kept me out of one of them and I, and I had to write an email, Open Public Meetings Act, what are you doing? It's not your, your job to tell me what I, I should be able to know and not know what the state is doing. And so, um, yeah, I, I attended all, all these meetings, either virtually or I, I read through the meeting minutes over the last couple of years. And it's just insane what takes place in these meetings. Um, they're incredibly liturgical. Mm -hmm. They're they're like a religious cult meeting, where you where you come in and there's the 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 land acknowledgments, and then there's usually a, a session where you have to voice your dedication to like Angela Davis, like '60s Black Power communist revolutionary ideals, and how what your commitment to that is, and everyone takes their turn, and then. Then after that, um, there's usually like a struggle session where some white person in the group will be like, oh, I'm really uncomfortable with this, blah, 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 you know, and then uh, like nothing really ever gets done in any of these meetings. It's just like this church service that takes place every month. Um, but it's all dedicated to just these radical ideas. And they keep saying that, that well, we need to find a way so no kid can opt out of this. We need to make it so everyone is forced to do the work. If people heard what was going on in these meetings, they would, be, they would just be shocked, I think. But like I said, I'm the only person generally from, from the general public who is, who's in on these meetings. Uh, well, that, I, I, if, if I may interrupt you, this is really, really yeah. important because I, I have parents you know, come to me and say, you know, I don't know what to do. I don't know what's going on. And these meetings that you're talking about, how do you, if, if, what would you tell a parent if they're like, I want to know what's going on? Like, where do you even find the announcements for these meetings? Where are they? I mean, I know every state's going to be different. Every city's going to be different. But right. in general, if you're a parent and you're like, I want to be a part of these school board meetings. Um, and like you said, they, 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 you had to actually ask to be a part of it. Like, where are you finding this information so parents who are interested can go and do what you're doing and actually listen in? 
Where, okay. where? So in my, in my state, it's called the Office of Superintendent of Public Construction, OSPI. That's our state K-12 agency. And from there, well, well, first I'm aware of what the laws are. And sometimes the legislature mandates uh, that a committee be formed in this, at this agency that, that carries out these policies or laws mm -hmm. that are implemented. So once I'm aware of what the law is, that the law is then I look for a specific committee at that agency. And they usually have a, a web page, you know, part of OSPI's website has a committee page. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, the Ethnic Studies Advisory Committee. So then I'll go to that committee webpage and I'll look at when their meetings are scheduled and um, try to attend either uh, since the pandemic, they've been Zoom meetings. But before that, uh, I would just have to make sure I read the meeting minutes after the meetings took place. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then let me ask you another question on this. This is just practical stuff because I know so many parents are like, they don't know what to do. And you seem so much ahead of the curve on this, not only because you were in the system, but <laughs> so you know where to look. Right. But a lot of people ask about FOIA, you know, for a Freedom of Information Act. So we were just saying that so much of this is secretive. They don't, it's not published. It's not transparent. Let's say that you, you wanted to get a curriculum, the ethnic studies curriculum for a certain, certain classroom, uh, and, and it wasn't online. How would you go about, outside of just asking the teacher, but if the teacher says no, or what, I mean, can you FOIA a curriculum? Can you like get a like? How does that work? How do you get the information if you're a parent? Here in Washington, um, it's been pretty easy for me to do public records requests and get. Usually, I think it's a five days. The law says you have to respond to the person's request. Okay. Um, either with clarifying questions or say, "Hey, we got this. We're we're, we're rounding up the materials." So, I I personally haven't had any trouble getting documents. Uh, for example, I wanted to look up the contract, a contract that the State Board of Education um, had signed for this ethnic studies, uh, an ethics, it's called Washington Ethnic Studies Now. They're a nonprofit that pushes ethnic studies uh, curricula. And they were doing the training of the Washington State Board of Education. So I did a public records request for uh, what they were how much they were getting paid and what they were training and it was it was shocking material it was you know critical race theory they had a, a training session called um pulling the weeds rooting out whiteness from the classroom just you know sort of genocidal speak as as sessions just just shocking stuff and they were paying four hundred dollars an hour for these trainings oh I know it's so okay, but let, let me get back to like some some nitty gritty. Okay. So uh, when you have a like, just even tell us a public records request. So you know, I mean, do you, who do you do you send it to the school? Do you send? Is it just an email okay. that says I want this record of the? Like, tell us how to do right. it. Right. So for like the state, for when I'm doing them to the state agency, for example, they mm -hmm. they even have a a little link that says if you're doing a public records request, you know. Okay. They even have a link that that puts up a form that that's for you to fill out. Okay. And usually they just want your name, whether you want the records sent electronically or through the mail, and um, specifically what you're asking for. Mm -hmm. 
That's so it's really thing. not that hard. No. Okay. So I think the people get like we throw around terms like FOIA, you know, uh, and people, normal parents who've got normal, I use normal and like scare quotes because we're all like, what are we, what's normal? But, you know, working like nine to five, whatever, it's like the idea of a FOIA request. I mean, it just seems so intense, but you literally could go on the, like for you in, in, in Washington, the offices of superintendent of public instruction, OSPI, and the, on that website, there will be a place if you're looking for records where you can literally click on something and say, I want the information, the public records for yep. this. Okay, so yep. that's, I mean, that I know that sounds so simple, but if you're not in that world, you literally don't even know what to do. Oh yeah, it's as simple as an email asking, <laughs> telling them what okay. you want. <laughs> well, let me ask you another question then as yeah. a former teacher. So a lot of this is more than just uh, what you just mentioned, like who's teaching these DEI trainees, how much are they getting paid, which by the way, is absolutely shocking. I mean, I've seen a, a couple of these, but what if it's just a curriculum? What if it's your, your kid is in a government class and nowadays, like I even was asking my son the other day, he's in, he's in a government class. And I said, you know, what's your reading list? And he goes, what are you talking about, mom? We don't have like a reading list. Like she gives out the stuff in class. Like we read it in class. There's not a published curriculum up there. I said, well, what if I wanted to see like what she's choosing to read? And he's, and he, my son, he's like, I, I don't, I mean, I, I can tell you day to day, but like, I don't know. So if I wanted to give as a parent, if I wanted to know exactly what my teacher, this teacher, for example, and again, I'm in a different state, so I know it would look a little bit differently, but if I wanted to know what she was teaching, what would I do outside of asking her directly? If she was like, uh, Oh, ask you, like, is there something I could do as a, as a parent? Those documents should be subject to public records requests Okay. in, in this state. Um, but some teachers, I don't know if they, you know, have their curriculum even thought out as to what they're doing the next, <laughs> you know what I mean? I think they're bringing in a lot of these materials on the fly and it's not like they already have it thought through and here's, here's what I did last year. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, that, that might be difficult when asking about a specific curriculum from a, from a teacher in a district. Yeah, because maybe there, I mean, like you said, it's not necessary. I mean, there is a transparency issue, but it's like literally from day to day, they might not even have, which in and of itself, critical race theory aside, is a little bit frightening that, a, you know, a teacher does not have a curriculum for their semester already planned. That's its own issue. Right. <laughs> okay, so I, I want to go to, you are a STEM teacher. You are chemistry, your math. Tell us like, I mean, what's so fascinating, and here in Texas, it hasn't gotten to the point where math is racist, science is racist. I mean, it, you may know in Texas, we signed a, um, I guess it's an anti-CRT in education. That hasn't stopped people, but you know what, at least it's on the books, whatever. But the whole math and science is racist. What, what does that look like in practice? Like what would what would they have you teach that was different than what you were teaching as a as a as a science teacher as a STEM teacher, and where do you think that that is hurting our children? I mean, honestly, I canceled my subscriptions to like the journal Science a decade ago because stuff was just getting so it it wasn't it wasn't science anymore. 
Um, what is happening in STEM or, or any subject for that matter, and they have it planned for PE, special ed, it doesn't matter what the subject is, the intent is to, I mean, this is a communist revolution. It's to serve the goals of the party, the party, mm -hmm. you know, it's um, to redistribute wealth according to their plan. Our, our state is very, um, it, it's not afraid to say that's exactly what they're doing. Um, in our state, for example, there is called a, the Race and Ethnicity Student Data Task Force. And what they're doing in this state is an unprecedented specificity of student ethnic data collection. For example, uh, what you call black students are now divided into 80 categories by default. And with room for expansion, uh, most, mostly those are according to nationalities, but there's room to, you know, get down to more eth ethnic level data as a write-in. Mm -hmm. um, for example, in, in the Seattle area, you know, we have a lot of East African immigrants. So in, under the Ethiopian category, for example, well, then students might be further broken down into Amhara, Oromo, Afar, whatever, so, you know, sub-ethnic categories there are. And, okay. and the weird thing is white students are just white students. There's no sub-ethnicities sub or nationalities for white students. They're just all just white. Yeah, they, have just... A few, <laughs> they have a few former Soviet nations representatives. Like you can be Ukrainian, Russian, um, Bosnian, but that, that's as far as the white categories are broken down. Do you ever get any pushback that you are just like some crazy radical that you are, I mean, what, what kind of, what have you had to face in your own personal struggle with trying to front, you know, face this? I mean, obviously the, the professional costs have been great you know, um, but, and, you know, family too, but, and, you know, just relationships with, with anybody, um, everybody's afraid to stand next to a kulak, right? Every, there's this, this fear of being near somebody who even dares think this way. What's a kulak? Uh, you have to. So, uh, kulak is uh, in the Soviet Union, uh -huh. you know, under Lenin and Stalin, kulaks were, allegedly the more privileged or upper class um, people who needed to be exterminated under Marxist philosophy. So, um, okay. But that, here's the thing about, here's the thing about Marxism and neo-Marxism. You know how today sometimes I've heard say that, um, well, this is just like, you know, Marxism only they're substituting race for class. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. The, the truth is, from the very first time communism was implemented, it was about race. It was about labeling entire ethnic groups mm -hmm. as kulaks or as whatever and exterminating them. And from my own ethnic background, this is an interesting book I have here. This is called... We'll meet again we'll, in heaven. We'll meet again in heaven by Ronald Julius Vossler. 
Germans in the Soviet Union write their American relatives. Oh, so oh, what, wow! This what this book is. <laughs> this is this is this is like you can't find this in the library or at the bookstore or whatever. I think I think the only place you can get this book is the Germans from Russia Heritage Collection at North Dakota State University's bookstore. <laughs> but it what this book is is what my ethnic group did. It was they basically live tweeted the Bolshevik Revolution, the the forced collectivization, dekulakization, um, Holodomor, the hunger death of 1922. All of these things are written about the gulags. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They wrote from the boxcar. Like everything is written down in this book. So you can read what everyday people were going through and in detail. And so basically I have the cheat sheet to what is going on <laughs> right now here in the United States. It's all, it's all written down exactly what was going on, what was happening, including what was going on in the schools. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so having this book, having this reference, having this cheat sheet, I've been able to stay one step ahead of the game. I know what's coming next. You, so let, this, the, you, you brought up something really, really interesting. Um, I want to go back to something you said earlier because it ties into what, what you're saying now. When this all started, the original idea was that we wanted to teach, I mean, America is a salad. We, we can't say melting pot anymore. That's wrong. <laughs> Whatever. America is diverse. And so the original idea behind ethnic studies, like, well, let's teach that. Like, let's show the history, not just from a white perspective, which, you know, is, I believe is true. I believe when I went, when I was growing up, you know, history was, you know, the, our history books were very vanilla, you know? And so this was a, originally started, I believe with the good intentions of saying, Hey, this isn't just, you know, a lot of America is not about whiteness. I mean, you've got, Yes, you've got slavery and that helped to build America where it is now. You've got immigration from I mean, Asia, from Mexico. I mean, it's just this amazing mix of cultures. Let's teach that. And I think that a lot of people who aren't following this very closely, like you and I are talking now, are like, that's an awesome thing. Why, why, why wouldn't you teach that? And, and that's where I kind of started out too. I'm like, I love this. I love that we're talking more about ethnicity, but that's not where it went. Would you agree? Would you agree that it started out with this notion of let's be more inclusive, which is not a bad thing, but it, then it went to something else? Oh, oh yeah, it's it's there's you can't this, this is a communist revolution. Make no mistake about it. Um, and it's in the we're, we're entering the forced collectivization phase. The school is the new collective farm where your kids will do the work or they will be or the, the teachers will do the work or will they will be expelled. That's the phase we're entering now. Yeah, so yeah, it took a twist. If you look at if you look at the ethnic studies framework that our our states committee came up with, mm -hmm. it's a communist utopia scam. It's it has history, uh collective action and some other thing and then the next part of the framework says power. So using history and narratives in the past to seize power and then that the, the last thing it says is happiness 
joy future. That's Ooh. that's the paradise. That's the the communist utopia that is achieved after power is seized using these narratives of oppression and and you know from history. That is that is the framework that they that that's that's the last step they were on before it was published on the website. But they haven't published it on the website and that's that's where we're we're at in Washington. So yeah, it it whatever this was about diversity or inclusion or whatever, no, it's a it's a communist utopia scam. And it's awful. So okay. And it has to be stopped. I wanna I wanna go because you at the beginning, going back to like when it was yeah. the kumbaya mo- moment, like you said, I mean, even you know, Republicans and Democrats, they were more or less on the same page. Let's do this. So were they so like what they were sold? was different than what they bought, if you will, right? I mean, I think they right. they thought there's, it was this, go ahead. There's nothing in the text of the legislation that that probably anyone would ever be offended by or find an issue with. The text of the legislation as it's written, yeah, I'd be on board with, who wouldn't? Mm-hmm. Like I said, all these Republicans voted for it. But you got to realize that the whole thing was just a trick. The whole thing was a, <laughs> is double speak and scams and manipulative language and and whatever it, it was never about what it was at face value so steve okay so you and i are talking like we just yeah. said you and i if if we were looking at this original bill we would be all for it you know like yay ethnic you know bringing in different diversity into our in our curriculum obviously that wasn't what happened who's behind that though I mean, who is like, it feels like, and, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist, you know, I, 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 I'm not, but what I hear you say, it's like, it was almost, it wasn't something that seemed organic. Like let's do ethnic studies. And then it, like something seeped in here or something seeped in there. And then it just kind of went sideways. It almost feels like someone like plotted it out. Let's make it very benign. Let's say we're going to like teach diversity. Who can say anything's wrong with that? And then pull the veil veil off real quick. Like, what is going on? So, you know, there's a very small number of people, activists that are that are pushing this stuff. And and um, it's these small nonprofits, you know, who also work as teachers or whatever. Um, In Washington, there's there's a nonprofit called Washington Ethnic Studies Now, and they were kind of some of the main supporters of this legislation. Uh, but, you know, they quickly get get interwoven into all the other non, you know, sort of social service nonprofits in the area who get on board with it. And then the Democratic legislatures kind of get all on board with it. And then the teachers union and, the, and everybody else kind of joins in to think it's a good idea and promote it. I was the only one, and I probably seemed crazy at the time when this first bill was passed, that was like boxcars, slavery, <laughs> Marxist comedy. You know, I was I was writing these things and 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 sending it in. And like I said, they probably just thought I was crazy and they ignored it. Yeah. Yeah. They thought you were crazy, and then it doesn't help that you are a white male, right? Because that was then then it was very easy to label you. Well, you don't like this because it's going against your caste or it's a fragility or all the other terms that we're throwing out there. So they basically silenced you based on, I mean, am I right? I'm guessing, but from what I've seen, would you say that? 
when the first bill was passed, there was uh, a Jewish man who had also come out to sort of be against it. But in, from his testimony, what I could tell is he just wanted to be part of the, the in oppressed group and wanted to make sure he was in on the labeled as the oppressed group. Um, right. And then it was OK. I, I found myself being the only one saying, no, this is going to be bad. Yeah. Do you still think and, you're and the I only one? There's really? still, there's, I've seen a few individual parents show up at school board meetings or small groups to, to kind of come out against this. Um, and there's, there's a local reporter, Jason Rance, um, who yeah. does kind of more of that storytelling from the individual upset parent in the classroom where this specific teacher was doing, teaching, whatever, mm -hmm. you know, but there hasn't been any reporting that's focusing on the bigger state level top down implementation of this. And so that's where I've been focusing my, my energy. And so tell me where you're at now. Like, have you, when you say that's where you're focusing your energy, what does that look yeah. like? I mean, are there lawsuits in the works? Are there more FOIA there's, requests? What, what so you... there's no, there's no institutional support against this in Washington state. Mm -hmm. at all either from there, there's a Washington Policy Center which is a little more uh, conservative and they have a full-time uh, education policy analyst who is who has put out some statements uh, against this stuff um, that's kind of been the only sign I've seen organizationally of of anything coming out against this in Washington so there's very little organization very little support like I said there even to find someone who's willing to put their face and name and reputation against this is just, you can't find it. Um, do you think so, that, do you think that's mainly because it's, it's, there's more maybe at stake because it's Washington and, and, and because of you know, the way the legislature is there than say in Texas, we're still dealing with these issues, but there's a little bit more traction because our legislators have come out and said, we have a problem with this so that, you know, if, if this were to be happening in, in Texas, which it is, but it would be very easy to write your congressman and be like, by the way, you know, this is against the law. Do you think, do you think it's because it's Washington per se, or do you think there's something where the parents just haven't organized well, they're scared? What, what are some of the factors behind that? A combination of things. Uh, one is lack of information. Um, the media has not been covering this except for to promote it. Uh, the Seattle Times, for example, their education reporting is funding by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation also is the one who's been putting money into funding critical race theory training in, for example, the Puget Sound Educational Service District uh, had been pushing critical race theory trainings and racial equity policy uh, adoption trainings that was sponsored by Bill and Melinda Gates. So you kind of got the same uh, funding agencies, both covering the reporting and the indoctrination in the schools. And so there's very little um, media coverage of it that isn't just promoting it, uh, very, you know, and superficial coverage. Um, so one thing is the, the parents don't know. Um, the state agency has been not only deceptive, uh, the, the state superintendent comes out and says, well, there is no CRT going on 
in our schools. That oh, this is people calling this Marxist and communist. They've been saying that about leftist ideas for forever. You know, that's not really going on here. It's it's complete deception. Um, so you know, <laughs> that's part of it too. Is the the deception by the state, the lack of media coverage. Um, I would say those are those are two of the biggest issues, and then fear. And fear, yeah. It sounds like there's a a little bit of gaslighting in there. Uh, I hate that word. I hate you. Gaslighting is as much of a slogan word as like racism, right. and white white supremacy. Right. But you know, I and, and for the longest time, I didn't even really like understand what it means. But where it's making you feel like you're crazy, right? For 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 being the whistleblower, because it's like, oh no, that's not what's happening. Like you just didn't understand it right. So. Is that a little bit of it too? A, a funny thing is the, the the state superintendent said, well, if you see this going on, that's that's not us. That's the individual districts. You need to go talk to your local district and your local teachers about this critical race theory issue. And then and then uh, recently the the um, state teachers union put out a statement saying Hey, if you if you see this in your school, you need to go ask the state what's going on. So they're both pointing their fingers at each other, trying to avoid response, taking responsibility for the questions. Wow. Okay. Well, now I've got I've got one one. Um, well, it might not, not might not be my last question. Might be my last question. Um, yeah. So one of the things that we've been looking at is that where and this was this was shocking to me is that it's kind of baked in because this kind of call it what you will neo-marxism you know whatever you want to call it crt i mean i I hate getting caught up in these terms because people manipulate that but whatever it is that we're seeing is being actually taught in the teachers colleges so even if you even if we didn't have any of this ethnic studies whatnot the teachers are still being taught this, and this is what they're bringing in their own individual pedagogies, if you will, their own teaching uh, criteria or teaching um, style was what the word I was looking for, into their classrooms. When you were getting your teaching certificate, did you notice that, or is that relatively a, a new trend? Because some people are saying that we've talked to is like, that's been going on for a while. And now we're just really starting to go, oh, oh, wow. <laughs> like, because we're seeing oh. it in the, how, what's, what's your experience? Uh, it's, it's been a while. I'm, I'm 47. So it was a while since I got my, my initial, you know, college education. Um, but, but now at the University of Washington, for example, their, um, their secondary teacher certification program is is divided into three areas. First, you're segregated by race, then you're segregated by gender, and then you're segregated by your sexual orientation. And now you're a trained teacher. Go and teach. So when you let me make sure I heard you right. Yeah. So when you were getting your cert- certificate, so I'm getting my certificate in Washington. I would only be getting my certificate with straight white women. Like I would be training with them. They would segregate me out. The University of Washington's uh, program, you can Google what it's called, uh, the water we sw- uh, the water we swim in or something like okay. that is, is the name of the video. Okay. Um, 
you it uh yeah they they segregate by by race gender and sexual orientation and that's apparently the most important thing you need to know about being a teacher that's that's the substance of the program and of course if you're if you're with whatever males or straight people or or the white group then your your role is is defined for you you're in support of this marxist ideology of redistribution of wealth and and resources and other things that's that's your role all right steve so what what what's next for you well um you know this is this is ramping up quickly in in washington it's going to get intolerable um when the the there was a supplemental budget document that the state superintendent just put out. And when I read what the plans were in there for the future, for the next five years, it linked to this document from the staffing enrichment work group. And it had the teachers having 10 training days per year. So you know, typically now we have about a handful, like three days a year where the, the kids stay home and the teachers get some kind of in-service training. In the next couple of years, this has ramped up to 10 days of year of critical race theory indoctrination of teachers. 10. That's 10 days kids are staying home and not, not being in the classroom while the teachers are being indoctrinated into what to do to them. That's, that's insane. Uh, I don't know. So where I go from here, like, I feel like it's, it's on an army of one, you know, but I have had some, some, you know, I, I mostly just have a Twitter feed where I, where I say what's going on in these state agency meetings or give my commentary on whatever. And occasionally something catches the eye of the world and goes viral and draws, <laughs> draws attention to how insane this is. And that, for example, when the North Thurston School District removed uh, Asian kids from the students of color category and put them <laughs> with white kids because they were working hard and successful or whatever, that that uh, tweet that I did went around the world really quickly. And what was funny is it doesn't matter who you are. If you were on the left, if you were on the right, it seems like the whole world was mocking and making fun of this district for what the insanity of what they were doing. Uh, it didn't matter what side of the fence you were on. Everybody thought that was insane. And um, I'm glad they were ridiculed. Uh, interestingly, the district spokesperson <laughs> had sent their kid to a, the school I was the administrator of <laughs> back in the day. So it's a, it's a small world, you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, that's the kind of thing that I'm hoping sometimes every once in a while, something that that i post will will get large-scale attention and bring the ridicule that it is deserved let me ask you like when you go to these committee meetings are you allowed to tape them and and put them out there is that the for example the ethnic studies advisory committee meetings uh that were they were they were posting the zoom videos after the after once I started bringing some attention to them in the meeting that they didn't let me in, after that, they deleted all their meetings. 
even the ones that they had already recorded were deleted from their website and they said they were no longer going to record and post meetings. That um, seems like a, a FOIA request in and of itself, right? Those are supposed to be public record. Am I right? I mean, I'm right. I'm, so those videos could be obtained by public records. I don't know that um, in the, I don't know if they recorded any videos after that. So the meetings took place via Zoom, but I don't think anyone pushed the record button. But they have to, I mean, they have to at least write down the meeting minutes, right? That That is a public right? Right, right. right. I mean, and, they, and they they generally post those, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, for example, you could you could public records request what the con what they recollect the content of that meeting was mm -hmm. or, or something. Mm -hmm. um, it's hard to do this as a as an army of one, as you said, because there's so much there. It'd be nice, you know, for you to have this collection of people, whereas one person does, you know, collects the records of that committee. One person does this. I mean, it's it's a, that's a lot. That's a lot for one man to do. Have you ever yeah, tried and I'm, to? And I'm busy. I work yeah, full time. You've got a job. <laughs> I got a, about three hours of commuting, so I put about an hour in every day, but I know where to look. So yeah. I can, you know, I know where to look. I know where to find stuff. I know how all the systems organized that that's helpful. I can shortcut stuff, yeah. you know. Do you and have like, a cheat sheet like that that you can share? I don't. You should um, think about that. You should think about putting a cheat sheet up there. Look at this site to get the, this information, this site to get this information. Yeah. I'm serious. I do, I, I do a good job of posting you know, where I'm getting information and the yeah. agencies and what the agenda is. Um, so, so my followers in the state or outside of the state can, can generally keep, keep track of where to look. Um, okay. So speaking of which we need to tell people yeah. who are interested, your Twitter is your name. It's at Steve Welliver and that's W at, at Stephen Welliver. Yeah. Stephen S T E V E N W E I L L E V E R. Right. So Stephen with a V, my last name is spelled like three words, well, I ever. Yeah, well, okay, good. I think I said that right. <laughs> I think I spelled it right. But yeah, well, I ever. That's good. That's better than me spelling it out. So, okay. So for our listeners who want to follow along and, and kind of collect what you're putting out there, although I, I do encourage you, I mean, that that cheat sheet, I, I, I find more and more when you're talking to parents, because like you said, just like you said, you know, you've got a full-time job, all this stuff. The more resources where, where people are given, like, look at this here, look at here, there. You know, I was talking to someone the other day, right, I was a parent who's got an issue going on. I said, write a letter to your legislatures that literally you cut and paste and people can just cut and paste it and pull it and put it, you know, use it as their own. Because making it easier like that, I think, builds the army. I mean, yeah, you, obviously you would want, they're not the generals or whatnot who are pulling it together themselves like you are. But it, it is something that needs to be more accessible. And, and that accessibility is hard because everything is kind of hidden. And you need someone like you who knows the ins and outs to just give that that simple guidance. And so I'm, I'm grateful for right. the work you're doing. And, and the data, the one thing is, is all of this, this, all these changes and all these new laws and policies and curriculum they're implementing, they never cite any data or evidence mm. of how it's working so part of what i do also is highlighting the damage that it's mm. doing here's what's actually going on with the kids' education look at that decline look mm -hmm. at that devastation 
you know, when you got black kids in the, in the whatever, 30% reading competency and then critical race theory comes in and drops it down into the teens or even lower, that's devastating, completely devastating. And it's not just that Democrat, it's all, anyhow, so documenting the damage and sharing that uh, is also important. And you've seen that. So I'm, I'm glad you brought that oh, up yeah. before. I mean, so you've actually seen the drop in um, standards across the board as a result of this type of pedagogy. Oh, yeah. For example, uh, the Tuck Willis School District, which was in the New York Times a few years back as being the most diverse district in America. Mm-hmm. So roughly equal proportions of every racial category at this at this district. Um, they were one of the first to implement a racial equity policy, and that was much celebrated uh, in the area by the local service educational service district and, and promoted as an example to follow statewide. What happened after that policy was implemented was catastrophic academic declines. And this, this district is, you know, it's by the airport south of Seattle. This isn't affluent million dollar home Seattle. This is more working, you know, this is more the working lower income suburbs and just white kids, multiracial kids, black kids, just, just losses, huge losses. Um, just, just horrific. If everyone, if anyone saw those graphs of what happened to their academic performance, they would, you know, they should put like a cease and desist on this ideology, you know, like, stop until we figure out what's what's going on but that's not what they're doing they're just promoting it and never telling people of the of the catastrophic damage it's doing you know and that's just with academics that's not with their psychology or anything else that's being done you know so if i i know you need to 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 get off your you're in your car i'll let you go after this but i'm going to email you because I would love to get some of this these data points if you could help me collect some of them because I'll put them in the podcast notes for people if they want to see you know they they hear us and they're like well show me the numbers let's 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 pull it together we'll post we'll pull a few of these pieces together if you don't mind okay yeah awesome all right well I will let you enjoy your rest of your your Saturday thank you for joining me for for a drink to discuss this uh frightening topic it needs a drink i think all right thank you for listening to this episode of hold my drink like or subscribe to the show and check out the show notes for links to source material and to our website where you can find what each of us is reading every week different news with different views if you have a topic that you would like us to explore drop us a line and join us next week as we say hold my drink and the conversation gets real